we wouldn't be alive today if this physical wisdom weren't pretty good most of the time. Like, we've got millions, billions of years worth of evolutionary tinkering going into this more than logical way of knowing, I guess you could think of it. It's mm -hmm. like there's understanding the world that's underneath and throughout and way older than our intellectual, hyper-cognitive kind of thinking way of understanding things. So if we can tap back into that kind of body process and that awareness, it's like it makes you better able to exist in the world. <laughs> yeah. For lack of a, a better way of saying it, it's like getting back in touch with your body seemingly like will get you the things that you want in life. Welcome to This Thing Called Movement, a podcast exploring the medium of movement and looking into how it has the capacity to transform not only our physical bodies, but potentially every other facet of our lives. I'm your host, Marie Janicek a movement guide here to help people find their own unique and authentic relationship to movement through creativity, curiosity, and self-expression. Join me as I dive into deep conversations with a wide variety of individuals from many different fields and backgrounds. Together, we'll gain insight into their own unique movement experiences, the transformations that resulted, and how movement has affected their lives at large. I hope these recorded conversations will inspire and empower you to find your own unique movement journey in your life in your own way. Hey everyone, today on the podcast, I have Chandler Stevens. Chandler is a coach for Ecosomatics, which is his own unique brand of somatic work shaped by how we relate to our environments around us. I had the pleasure of meeting Chandler about a year and a half ago. We have become close friends and we love geeking out on all things related to movement and life. In this conversation, we looked specifically at what limits our ability to explore and how to start navigating some of those obstacles to be able to embrace exploration more fully. We also dabbled a little bit in the concept of physical wisdom relating to intellect and cerebral intelligence. And perhaps um, one of my favorite concepts that we got to dive a little deeper into were, is one of Chandler's fundamental questions in his work, which is, what do you need to thrive? And how positioning your perspective through the lens 
of what you actually need in order to be a thriving human being can create massive change for your life on all ends. I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. So for now, just go ahead and sit back, relax, tune in, and enjoy. So Chandler, if you don't mind taking it away and giving us a little more detailed explanation of who you are and what you do. Yeah, my name is Chandler Stevens, and primarily I work with uh, reconnecting people to their bodies and the natural world. So I do quite a bit of work in embodiment, quite a bit of work in deep ecology, uh, really helping people find uh, a felt sense of connection. And what we find is that that tends to ripple out many number of areas whether it's dealing with chronic pain, whether it's dealing with, uh, you know, self-doubt and self-sabotage, uh, movements and mobility restrictions as well. I mean, really what I'm looking at is like underneath whatever the different disciplines are, like how do you get this human organism uh, functioning at its full creative potential? That's so lovely. I think like that's something that you and I have <laughs> both been very uh, connected about and uh, we like to bounce ideas off of each other for a while. We were even planning a retreat together, uh, building off of some of these topics. Um, so one thing I would love to learn more about, uh, I know I've asked you snippets of this in our own personal conversations, but if you could go into a little more detail and a little more depth for us, what is your movement journey? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, it all started um, relatively late. I didn't do much of anything, you know, physical activity-wise until probably, I guess it was after my senior year of high school. It was that summer before college when I started running. A yeah. friend asked me to go running, and uh, I had never been before, so obviously I didn't have shoes. I didn't have any of the accoutrements you would think of being need for running, but I thought, well, you know, cavemen probably didn't have shoes, so I should be fine, right? <laughs> and I guess that was like my inadvertent start into kind of natural movement practice, uh, whatever else we want to kind of call it. But yeah, it's sort of just kind of barefoot running, and that was a very rough apprenticeship at the start. Mm. You don't go from zero to running on asphalt, it turns out. <laughs> uh, but I was still hooked, despite all of that. Mm. And then in college, that kind of expanded into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, into yoga, uh, you know, strength training, uh, parkour. And afterwards, like after college, I should say, uh, I was working at the Environmental Protection Agency in a research microbiology lab and you know, ended up being a pretty soul-sucking environment. Um, and so I would just kind of move as much as possible outside of it. Uh, it made me feel better physically, mentally, emotionally, all of that. And somehow during that kind of practice and exploration, I uh, stumbled into the world of somatic education, which was really just eye-opening for me in terms of understanding, like, what were some of the root causes of my physical hang-ups, like the tension I felt, the pain I felt, um, really helping me get to the root of that and get a better understanding of myself in kind of the wholeness beyond mind plus body. Hmm. 
And I fell in love with it. I quit the EPA, I started coaching, and then it's just been kind of a continuing spiral from there. Mm. So there's one part of that story I'm really interested in expanding on. Um, You said that when you were working for the EPA, and that stands for Environmental Protection Agency, correct? Yeah. That it was really, like, difficult um, and... Art, like you just were not happy there. Can you go into a little more depth on what we were actually experiencing when you were unhappy and just not syncing with that field or that environment? And then, and then also, like if you can remember, what drew you to somatics specifically? You said stumbled upon. I and I'm curious if there, what were some of the parameters that led you to that when you were in this place? Yeah, yeah. So when I was at the EPA, I had been, I mean, I was recovering from a couple of injuries I had, had taken from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu back in college. So there was still some kind of like lingering pain, lingering tension. Uh, but when you put yourself in situations that are just totally depressing and frustrating and mm. stressful and unfulfilling, I go figure that compounds whatever kind of physical stuff is already there. And so for me, it was this, it was this more than physical kind of funk where I felt not great physically and it was compounded by a pretty, pretty rough downward spiral into depression. Um, and so for me, it was just like, you know, every possible warning bell that my, my, myself, my organism, whatever you want to call this, like every part of me was sending out these alarm signals of like, something drastic has to change. Um, it was, I mean, it was like <laughs> every possible way you could think of this staring me in the face and saying like, change, change, change. Wow. It was all there. Hmm. And yeah, I, so there's only so long you could ignore that before you reach kind of like the, the fork in the road. And I decided luckily to take uh, maybe the more growthful fork and get myself out of that situation. Hmm. Um, so that was that decision was kind of precipitated by some of the work I had been exploring in somatic education. So that might tie into the second question there, which is like, how did I come across it? Yeah. Um, for me, I, I went to basically like an information session on this weird thing called the Feldman Kreis method, ah. and <laughs> it was like a free event hosted in town. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but at the time, I had never heard of it, and so I was like what's that about? I'm interested in movements and I haven't heard of that. So I went and um, this practitioner who was leading the thing uh, basically pointed out a couple of things about myself that I hadn't been aware of before in terms of how I physically carried myself, in terms of relationships between these different injuries I was dealing with. So she would ask for like, does anyone like, would anyone be willing to be a guinea pig for this? And I was was just like curious. I was the obnoxious little kid in the front of the class. Um, Also interesting, uh, which I realized has been kind of a common theme. I was the only, uh, well, let's say in a lot of somatic work, there's a certain demographic. It's like, Affluent older white women seems to be (laughs) (laughs) seems to be the type of person. So I was on man, which is kind of the 
just like a funny experience, right? But anyway, so I, I, I got into this, this Feldenkrais session and uh, the woman who was running it, she kind of like caught on to the fact that I was enthusiastic and she said like, have you considered becoming a teacher in this other kind of modality that I, I train people in called Bones for Life, which is sort of an offshoot of the Feldenkrais method. One of Moshe's original students basically took the work and said, this is great, but we spend most of our time up on two feet and walking around and we need to find some way to improve that as well. Hmm. So it was the same sort of flavor of Feldenkrais, kind of awareness through movement practices, but more geared toward, you know, bipedal locomotion. Hmm. How do we stand? How do we uh, walk? How do we get up and down from the ground? All of this sort of thing. And that was just awesome. Hmm. And it really opened my eyes to this whole other world of, uh, movement and body practice that I hadn't, hadn't known existed. Like I'd been practicing yoga and so I was, you know, quote, mindful. Uh, and yeah, I knew nothing about myself. And this, this somatic work opened so many doors and just revealed so much of the things about me that had been like bubbling under the surface. Hmm. And so eventually I, I started an apprentice program with, with a woman who had been kind of a, a movement therapist and a dancer and a choreographer and, and had been doing this work for, you know, 55 years by the time. Wow. And we, yeah, we did a lot of work with um, body-mind centering, developmental movements, like this expressive component of a movement practice that's, you know, coming from like jujitsu and running and all of this and yoga, like there wasn't a whole lot of expression. Mm. in any of the movement I had done. And so that was, holy shit, that was just uncomfortable for me. And I came to realize, like, oh, I have some serious hang-ups around uh, expression and emotional connection and all of this. And so um, I'm kind of rambling at this point. But anyway, no, it led me into all amazing. sorts of different directions, seeing, like, yeah, right, like the emotional core of the self. And it led me into... Uh, working in gestalt therapy for a period of time and exploring kind of body-oriented therapy. And all of these different threads at this point are, are now sort of the things that I weave together in my work. It's like there's this component of body and there's this component of psyche and there's this component of environment. Mm. And we need to find some intentional way to weave these areas back together, uh, almost like to to remember that they are inextricably linked. So I think we've just forgotten that in so many ways. You know, I'm really kind of, I, I just want to highlight something for our audience, actually. So Feldenkrais is mostly done lying on your back or on your side, correct? Well, in many of the lessons that are uh, commonly taught, yeah, it's lying on your back, lying on your side. Uh, although, you know, some of Feldenkrais's original lessons, like you would start in a handstand or a headstand, like some of them get to be very challenging. Uh, but of course that takes some kind of fundamental prerequisites that a lot of people don't have, right? Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> 
So that's so fascinating that that was actually, it was Feldenkrais, that was kind of your entry point. And I really love that you highlighted the fact that there is a predominant demographic and you were definitely not someone who fit within that mold. But what's really surprising to me is you said yeah. you you had this discomfort around um, around the, the, the element of expression, right? And we realized there was a block there. And I see most people encounter that obstacle, that discomfort, that unknown territory. And most of our reaction is to run the fuck away. <laughs> so I just wanted to right? take a yeah. moment to, to just marvel <laughs> that um, you had the audacity to be like, well, this is new. What is it? Can I understand it better? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess that's not the norm, right? Which no. is a little odd and a little sad. Hmm. I mean, I'm curious, if if we were to go further with this idea of why that's not the norm, do you have any theories or any suggestions as to well, why you think yeah. that's the case? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, this is something I think about a lot, like a weird amount of it. <laughs> Usually a, a few times a week is like a, a distinct thought. What I think is that, you know, when the human organism is well-regulated, functioning, like humming along at that kind of normal, natural way, um, we are naturally inquisitive creatures. Like we have this innate yearning to engage with the world. We're curious. We want to go out and explore things. We want to go and, and recreate the world around us. Like we want to be active participants in existence. But, you know, there's that caveat of, like, when we are able to regulate ourselves well. So I think there are some fundamental uh, tiers to the pyramid we might think of. Mm -hmm. So at the very top, the pinnacle, is, like, this exploratory curiosity, like, playfulness, like, wanting to engage. But underneath that, you need to, to have some baseline of function. Right? Like, you are not going to be curious and engaged if you're just like not able to sleep. Mm. And even lower than that, like, if you don't feel safe and secure, you're not going to go out and explore. Like, if you are in a, a perpetual kind of sympathetic hyper arousal, if you're dealing with unresolved past traumas that are like eating at you, you're not going to go explore that. That would be stupid. From like a, an evolutionary perspective, it would be stupid to go and explore if you don't feel safe and secure in you. So that's kind of where I mean when I think of like, why are people more curious and exploratory? It's like they don't have the, the mental bandwidth to be curious and exploratory. Like they don't have the, the reserves and resources about do this stuff. I also, I think there's a, cultural and a sociological component, right? Like our cultural conditioning, um, where mm. we're born into the world with all those resources of curiosity, exploration, like intuition, and like, what if? And it's all we spend our time doing. But I, I've kind of been observing that this has been getting diminished out of childhood earlier and earlier. And I mean, my hope is now like there, that there's like a new shift of mm, thought yeah. coming in or we're realizing, oh, that's not good to do. But I know as 
as a child, I have so many memories of being suppressed in that in that active engagement of my environment, in that active curiosity and wanting to explore because of the fear of safety, right? And and it wasn't usually because I was actually unsafe. Um, uh-huh. My parents were in just a, such a high state of arousal being like, uh, immigrants to a new country with no family support, with no friends, no resources, nothing. You know, within a couple of years of making it out to the States, they had their first kid and they were working their way up from blue collar jobs and trying to have a house and, you know, careers and like, and then they're raising this kid. And so uh-huh. it's just like so much terror about like what she could do with herself in this big world. So. Um, but you know, I think there, I also watch parents kind of compound that terror, uh, especially parents in New York. And this isn't true for everybody, but, but now, you know, the stakes get higher and, and you watch kids being led through education and, and needing to get into the best schools, right? Because now it's not just going to college. You have to go to the college and now to get into the college, you have to be preparing in middle school and to get the right grades in middle school, certain things have to be in place when you're a kindergartner. I mean, it's it's kind of nuts. Uh, some of those some of those constrictions I watch closing in and literally like choking out that freedom and that curiosity and the exploration at a very young age. Um, so I also wonder if that's a component to it as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean we. Have a, a culture to speak of, right? Like we we stand out amidst all of the other animals on the planet because you know we we have to learn so much from our parents, our peers, our the the society we are born into. We have to learn from that that group of people in order to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, like we 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 need other people to function. And, of course, those other people are flawed in their own ways, too, right? Like, everybody's got some stuff, and there's so much stuff that we just take up from our parents and carry into the world. And, of course, since they're the ones who raised us, it's kind of like the goldfish doesn't know what water is. Like, we don't know that there's another way of doing because we live our whole lives enmeshed within a a society and a culture. Yeah. Uh, And yet, you know, you start to travel around and you see that like there are very different cultural embodiments in these different places. Like, you know, the United States, it's like we bluff, it's driving, it's surging in like one direction to be the best and get more and the da 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 Other places, maybe not as much. Uh, but yeah, for sure, our, our culture, our society, like they have a profound impact not just on like how we think about and perceive the world, but really on our embodiment as well. Like the way we physically carry ourselves is definitely a cultural thing. Like it's a cultural phenomenon. Wow. So what, what are some strategies you would suggest to like help break free of that? Because that's a pretty powerful thing. And I, and I think you hit the nail right on the head when you say, we literally have a physical embodiment of a culture and a way of living that's been imprinted in us continuously over our lifetimes of, of living within it. So how, how do you break free of that pattern? What are some tangible first steps? So one of the things that comes up, I think, again and again, and just about every 
every tradition, whether it's a, a somatic discipline, whether it's in um, the more kind of psychological realm, but it's like fundamentally it seems to always start with awareness, right? Like awareness of what is, mm. awareness of how you carry yourself, like physically. What, what do you notice about yourself as a body or within your immediate surroundings? Like what do you notice right here, right now? Or kind of in the broader context of your life, what are some of the patterns and dynamics that play out again and again and again? And so I think uh, for a lot of people, especially if they're just sort of dipping into this, it's like, watch yourself. Observe yourself as you go through your day-to-day life, because you probably don't know as much about yourself as you may think. Mm. Um, In fact, there's... I mean, there's always more that we don't know than what we know, right? Like, that's kind of the, it's just the way that life seems to work. Yeah. Uh, but it's like when you're engaging in a conversation, what parts of you move? What parts of you don't move? Where are you expanding? Where are you contracting? Or when you're going to train, it's like what parts of yourself are you using to pick up that barbell from the ground, yeah. right? Like, or maybe not even that, but just standing there, how do you stand? Are you the sort of person who has to like clench your butt in order to stay standing? Or do you like carry yourself through life with your jaw? Uh, Are you like hunching your shoulders up to like somehow, you know, coat hanger your way through life? Like you got to watch yourself on these things because your body is saying so much to everyone else in your life and it might be telegraphing things that you don't know and that maybe aren't working out so well for you um yeah. <laughs> like maybe the world isn't seeming like a friendly place because you're perpetually closed off in a shriveled little ball and maybe you've never known that you're curled up and hunched over because that's your normal again yeah. you don't look like the fish doesn't know water yeah. You don't feel like you're closed up because this is just how you make your way through life. But we interact with other people based on the way they carry themselves. Like I'm going to talk differently to you if you're hunched up versus if you've got like, you know, you're just out kind of like something to prove and that if you're out there in the world, I'm going to talk to you in a very different way. Mm. And so really it's like awareness, what's going on in your body. What's going on, like, in your immediate surroundings? And what's going on in kind of the broader themes of your life? I always kind of coach people through, like, (laughs) you know, the the one process that I think you're a little familiar with, right, in the trust the flux bit. It's like we go through kind of an anthropological study self to figure out, like, who is this person named Marie? What's she like? What does she do? What does her body show? And we start to use that as like a guidepost to, is that working out for me? If no, I can change some things. And if it is working, how do I turn up the dial a little bit more? Yeah. I, I use this, like, I guess it's not really analogy, but this frame of reference for people a lot. And it's the idea of like movement is our universal language. 
period. It's the language that allows us to communicate not only between different cultures and backgrounds and ethnicities, but also interspecially, right? With other animals, with with plants, with, with like this whole world, right? It is all regulated through movement. And whether or not you're aware of it consciously, your whole body, your whole self is always responding to movement. I mean, our eyes are programmed to zap towards the sudden changes in movement for like automatically, right? And whether you realize Uh it or not, people you are attracted to are usually because of a certain movement quality they possess and the way they carry themselves, not just their actual body, right? But it's their very way of articulating that body in space. Uh It's how you know if someone's feeling insecure. It's how you know to avoid someone because they give you a weird feeling in the pit of your stomach. It's not just intuition. You're picking up signals from the movement there. Uh And so I love that that's like so centered Uh in your coaching and your philosophy because um, I've seen that in my own life uh, and even in your programs as a participant in some of them that it, it's just such a fundamental part of who we are. And it's it's very, once you start to notice that, then you start to realize how absolutely ridiculous it is that we keep trying to separate into these weird little sections like, well, now I'm going to do my fitness thing at the gym. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, really? <laughs> yeah, right. Now I'm going to engage my body. Now I'm going to engage my mind and I'm going to think through this. And it's like, oof. That's one of the things I come back to again and again is like your logical intellectual mind in terms of evolutionary time span. Well, A, let's maybe put in the fact that like it emerges from the physiological substrate. Like you wouldn't have logic and intellectual thinking without your body. Wouldn't happen. So let's put that in perspective. But it's so young compared to like the amount of wisdom that your body could cue you into. Mm. And that's a weird way to think of it, right? But like, just as you mentioned, you get these intuitive senses, these kind of physiological responses to the world that clue you in on things that are beneath your ability to logically process through. Yeah, yeah, that guy's giving me like a weird feeling. And oh, that's the guy who like swings his fist and starts to fight. Or like, ah, that person's looking a little like shady and they're the person who, whatever. It's like we wouldn't be alive today if this physical wisdom weren't pretty good most of the time. Like we've got millions, billions of years worth of evolutionary tinkering going into this more than logical way of knowing. I guess you could think of it. It's mm-hmm. like there's the understanding the world that's underneath and throughout and way older in our intellectual, hyper-cognitive kind of thinking way of understanding things. Um, so if we can tap back into that kind of body process and that awareness, it's like, it, it makes you better able to exist in the world. <laughs> For lack of a, a better way of saying it, it's like getting back in touch with your body signaling like, will get you the things that you want in life. Yeah, I mean, that's such a beautiful way to put it. And I actually think that's a perfect segue into the next question, uh, which is, what does movement mean to you? Or how do you define it? 
I I think movement is basically I it's how you whatever kind of conscious self or even unconscious self, but it's how you interface with the world around you. Like movement is us talking right now. We, as you mentioned, like we couldn't be talking if parts of ourselves were in motion. Uh, mm-hmm. Movement is like the stuff that keeps us alive. Like there is this pulsation, this rhythm of uh, blood and breath and all of that. And even down to like the level of our cells, like there's this cellular respiration that keeps us alive. Uh, movement is everything you do and everything you've ever done and everything you will do. Like, it's easy to think of it in terms of like movement culture, right? Movement is handstands, it's muscle ups, it's deadlifts, it's backflips. And it's like movement is me reaching for a glass of water. Movement is me doing the dishes. Um, I, I had someone bring it up in one of our kind of coaching groups this week, actually. She said, like, is it okay to be going through some of these like rooting practices, like when I'm doing the dishes? And I had to do like this double take because that's exactly the way that uh, my mentor, you know, years ago described it. She's like, if you can do this stuff while you're doing the dishes, while you're drinking your coffee, like if you can be in your body and if you can be your body, let's take the preposition out of it. But if you can be embodied while you're doing the mundane shit day to day, like that's where life gets really juicy. Not just how many tricks you can do, but like how attuned are you with your physical self in relation to the rest of the world. Because the deeper a connection you can create there, like the more you get that buzzing, the more capable you become. It's like relationships open up. Uh, your creative capacity opens up. Um, your, you know, your body physically opens up, like range of motion, strength, all of that. Like you become more integrated as, a, as an organism. And so shoot, what's movement? It's like, what's not movement? <laughs> yeah. Find something that isn't and holy crap. Yeah, I, I 100% agree, which is why I love the word and I love the concept. Uh, and I myself have been really making a sincere effort in the last year, actually. Ever since I got back from China, which was like almost like a year exactly to the day um, ago. But I, I I had this little experiment with myself because living in New York and, and being like a more like sensitive person temperature wise, I found it really easy to completely get all sorts of frustrated and aggravated by my environment uh, and specifically the weather. Like if it wasn't sunny and an agreeable 70 uh, degrees, yeah. my day was ruined because I had to be outside. And whether it was cold, whether it was hot or <laughs> rainy. So I, I did this little experiment with myself this last year where every time I was inside, outside, I tried to like take in the surroundings of what the environment was and, and what the weather was and what the experience was. And as I was walking places, I really tried to almost like breathe it in um, and almost like let my body feel it fully, like expand into the air, expand into whatever clouds or, or whatever was happening in the sky, expand into the feel, the temperature. And there's something about like opening up to it that was actually 
so much more exciting and so much more beautiful than trying to brace myself against it all the time. And I, and I, it was very startling to realize how much of my life I've spent bracing against things. And if I did it with just the weather, like I can only imagine how many other things I was doing that with too. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think there are so many beautiful little avenues we could go down with that. It's like, a, for sure, people are of a place. Like, we, we undersell the, the, the importance of places and spaces in our lives. Uh, and B, like, I think, you know, maybe the bigger and juicier thing, or at least where my mind wants to go, is like, yeah, how much of, of this life experience, whatever we want to call it, how much are we bracing against versus, you know, just as you said, how much can I let this flow through me and let me flow through this? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that idea, kind of nebulous idea of a flow is the natural order of things. Like, look at a tree. It is perfectly designed, uh, for lack of a better word, to, to be a flow conduit, like water and carbon and all of this. They're moving through the tree. And we are perfectly, again, for lack of a better word, designed to, like, flow across a landscape. And uh, it's just, like, movement of ideas, movement of substances, movement of bodies. Like, that is the way the world works. One thing that just popped up was, like, because this was happening outside for me, I noticed, like, I would, there's so many parallels that were happening for me with nature, And, you know, you mentioned the tree and the first thing that jumped into my head was like, I was learning how not to try to be myself because, you know, you look at nature and a rock isn't trying to be a rock. It just is. (laughs) And then, you know, plants aren't trying hard to be like the best (laughs) plant. They just are. And, and there was something so like there's, I was just kind of getting these very, cliche or almost like spiritual awakenings when I was like opening myself up and but they were they were there's something that was like lessons from nature yes this is like exactly kind of what I needed to observe (laughs) and and even with the weather like it was so surprising because I'm somebody who gets cold very easily and in New York when the weather drops below zero because of the humidity it feels like ice in the air plus you have the crazy winds that are are whistling through this area so it drops the temperature even more but somehow when I opened up to it I didn't feel the chill like, I didn't feel as cold, and it was such a remarkable experience that, like, I could actually love that feeling of that that sharp tickle of the air and just be like, ooh, this is interesting, versus, like, ugh, this is unpleasant. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's just like, what kind of sensations are actually going on? And could you, I mean, just for a moment, like, strip away the, the kind of emotional baggage around those and just mm. kind of be present to the fact that, like, yeah, if it's cold, it's not going to kill you. And maybe it just makes the warmth feel that much better. And, you know, whatever other kind of poetic analogies we throw in there, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, awesome. This is a great little rabbit hole. I mean, I know you You also, pers- like, from your posts and from what I know about you, you're also, like, 
fully immersed in nature. Um, is the reasoning around that because of your whole uh, mantra around shifting the environment to shift yourself, or is there another, are there other reasons that tie into that for you? Uh, I think unconsciously for a while that's been part of it. It's like, yeah, I, I just feel better when I'm outside. Um, and, you know, I think there's, I just think there's something innate to the human animal that, that really does thrive in certain conditions. Uh, but really for me, it doesn't need to be any more poetic than the fact that like, I just like having my bare feet in the dirt and that's all there is to it. <laughs> yeah. But, that's a great uh, reason. Uh, I, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I do also get like this very deep kind of affiliation with the natural world. It's like, I, I, I see myself in the world and the world in myself in a way. Like I, I, I wouldn't be who I am or what I am or how I am if not for the world around me. And so why not try to like actively engage with that? Mm. It's just juicy. It's way more exciting. I'd so much rather climb a tree than do sets of pull-ups. You're going <laughs> to get the same benefit. And then some, like go get your hands dirty. Go get like all of that stuff. You're, that's the, yeah. there's something about a human animal that needs that. You know, um, as as a kid growing up in Colorado with parents who love who were from like mountainous areas and former Czechoslovakia, like they made it their mission for us to spend as much time in the mountains as humanely possible in the summer with like a you know nine to five job and only a couple weeks vacation. But we would go on these long treks where we would literally camp out of a tent. Um, you know, kind of live off of a fire and we had no bathrooms, no showers for two weeks. <laughs> uh, and uh-huh. I remember as a little kid, like driving up to the mountains for an hour or two hours to get to our campsite. And first thing that my sister and I would do, we would like barrel out of the car, run around the campsite, find a special little spot. And then we start scooping dirt with our hands. Uh-huh. And, and, like, get little bits of, like, flowers and twigs and pine needles, whatever we could find. And then we would decorate these little dirt cakes that we made. And it was, it was like, the best <laughs> thing in the world to, like, get out of that stuffy car and then just, like, get in the dirt. And just, like, get, like, get totally mm-hmm. mussed up in the natural world around us. It was always such a magical experience. Yeah, yeah. What well, yeah, I work with people around the world and it blows me away. Like one of the first questions we always start with is like, Hey, you as a person, as an animal, as a body, whatever it is, like, what do you need in order to thrive? And, you know, no matter where people are from, what continent, what city, whether they're urban or rural or whatever, it's like, what, what seems to come up for people is like, I need, uh, peace and quiet. I need time outside. I need sunrises and sunsets. I need like the natural, I need bodies of water. Like when people think about what they really need to be their utmost, to be full and whole and all of that, it's always nature. (laughs) No matter where you're from or who you're like, Again, again, at least for the people who self-select to work with me, right? Like, (laughs) nature is the thing that everybody seems to need. Yeah. 
You know, I you mentioned that question, and I'm so glad you did because it was such a profound one for me. Um, you know, what do you need to thrive? And and I think whenever we normally think about like what do you want in your life, it feels inherently selfish. But to frame it in that wording of what do you need to thrive, like to be your best self, to be your happiest self, like it's just such a beautiful way to to start asking yourself some bigger questions. Um, And I love that for most people who are called to work with you and who end up working with you, there is this theme that's also so closely tied to who you are. Mm, Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, I think, I think that is a good distinction you brought up, right? Like, it's not selfish in any way to try and give yourself the things that would give you the best chance to fulfill in life. Like, it is not selfish for this pine tree out my window to want sunlight, to want water, to want, you know, rich soil underneath of it. That's what that tree needs in order to thrive. It would not be this big, majestic thing if it didn't have those things. Hmm. Like, I think if we want to make the contribution that we want to make in the world, like, if we want our best shot at meaning and fulfillment, we have to do some serious thinking about what do you need in order to thrive? Again, not like, do you want a fleet of Maseratis? Not like, do you want whatever other, like, stuff? But those are wants, and maybe they're nice to have. But I think underneath of it, it's like, no, if I think about what it takes for me to thrive, it's like, I need a rich community. I need time to move. I need, you know, like a body that allows me to move in whatever ways that I want to. I need time outside. I need nourishing food. I need sleep. I need music. Like, those are just the fundamental things. Mm. But I think we're, we're deficient in, in just about all of those areas. And then we try to cover up that deficiency with maybe the stuff that we want, right? Or the stuff that we think will bring us that same kind of contentment, right? So it's like it's like exactly. trying to solve yeah. uh, it's like trying to heal a blister um, with like putting some chamomile tea on it. Like maybe maybe there was a different remedy there. <laughs> That's a terrible analogy. <laughs> or, yeah, like you put a, a Band-Aid on leprosy. It's like, hello, you're rotting from the inside out. A Band-Aid's not going to help. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. I was just talking to a, a, a client of mine who, she's in Germany, but she just got back from a vacation in Spain, like a couple of acquaintances who, I guess, were like multi, multi, multi-millionaires. And she was at like these beautiful houses and stuff. And She's talking to them and like they're bored and they're miserable and they're unfulfilled. And she's like, so what do you like? What do you do all day? Like you've worked so hard for all this. And they're like, well, we, you know, wake up and like clean the pool, maybe drink a bottle of wine, talk to the (laughs) landscaper and stuff. And like, they've got all of the things you could quote want, except for everything that they need. Wow. Um, So I I think it just goes to show. Yeah. Well, um, again, another perfect segue into next question. What has been the greatest gift movement has given you? Uh, I think just an understanding of myself and maybe some, maybe some compassion for the fact that like, 
uh, I'm not perfect and I don't need to be. And I'm in process. I think maybe that's, that's the biggest thing. It's just a reminder that like, it's always in process. It's always changing, uh, which I, I take some comfort in, you know, that's, that's the big thing for me is that it's not fixed. It's not rigid. There's no, there's no forever thing. Uh, to me, that's a very comforting way of living life. You know, I, I was just talking to someone about this. Um, someone messaged me to tell me that my animal flow routine that I posted this week was, um, absolutely perfect. (laughs) And I wrote back and I said, well, um, I would not say it is perfect, uh, but that's the beauty of it, right? That that there's always more there. Um, because I I realized I got caught in this loop when I was filming it that I was trying to get it perfect, and that was just absolutely not the point. <laughs> and so, uh, and, and, that, yeah. and yeah. that's that's the beauty of it, right? That that it's never perfect, and there's always more, and the evolution is ongoing, and. There's just more and more layers, and I, I thought it was funny because I posted something that I did not believe was at all perfect, and I posted it because I just loved it for what it was, but that that somebody internalized as like, a, a, I guess, an expression of perfection, and I thought it was so interesting because in my experience, it was absolutely not. It was just the next evolution. Yeah, perfect. Huh. It's an illusion. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it just makes me think, like, perfect for what? Perfect by what metric or what standard? And, like, why? I think think perfection is is that carrot, (laughs) right? It's that carrot that's in front of the donkey that you never get. But, but like, for some reason, because of some circumstances, we've been conditioned that that's where we're supposed to go. And let's say, you know, you're that donkey with that carrot dangling in front of you that you never get. And meanwhile, you pass food along the way. But if you get so fixated on that perfection, you're never going to mm. pick up the other nourishment and then be satisfied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I we could go on forever. Um, so what I think we'll do is we'll wrap, <laughs> we'll wrap things up for today and, and, and hopefully have you on with us again for another interview in a little while. For um, sure, but yeah. If, if you have any final thoughts you'd actually like to leave the audience with before we wrap things up, words of wisdom you would like to impart? Oof, I don't know if I have a whole lot of that, but I could uh, I could pluck out my go-to. It's, um, you know, wherever we are and however we are, whoever we are, whatever the hell's going on around, it's like, if you tune into, to, again, what you are and where you are and all of that stuff, you always have a choice. Uh, to make things better. Mm. And, you know, my dad, maybe this counts as wisdom, my dad always told me that all of the problems in the world are either stupid or evil. And I think that awareness takes stupid off the table. And so then we have that choice of like, do we become an agent for good for ourselves, for the places and spaces around us, for people in our life, for the broader community, for the world, like, do we make things better, which obviously makes things better and that ripples out, or do we leave things as they are? Mm. Do we live ourselves as we are? Do we leave the spaces we're in as they are? Um, I think maybe that's the closest I can get to a, a, a little drop of wisdom. It's like, you've got a choice. Do something with that. I love that. 
and and I love how how beautifully you tie the micro into the macro and not in the traditional new agey like oh we are all one but um you know like every every time you you have that opportunity to make a choice and you seek the choice in favor of betterment it's a choice that affects everything you know whether you're conscious oh god yeah ripples out the ripples Oh, awesome. So thank you, Chandler, so much for coming onto the show with us today. We so appreciate it. Um, where can our listeners... Thanks for having me. This has been awesome, Marie. Yeah. Where can our listeners find you and get in touch with you if they're really vibing with everything you had to say and want to learn more? The easiest place is probably uh, ChandlerStevens.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook as well, Chandler Stevens. Um, starting more and more on YouTube, find me there. Uh, Instagram is Chandler the Mover because uh, I guess there's some other Chandler Stevens out there who took my name. Oh no! Uh, um, <laughs> so those are yeah right. Those are the best places to start. And um, yeah, by all means, reach out if you're grooving with any of this. I'd love to keep the conversation going. Yeah, awesome. So I'll be sure to add that into our show notes. That's all for today, folks. We look forward to seeing you next week on our next episode. Have a great day and take care in the meantime. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode on this thing called movement. I'm your host, Marie Janicek. And if you're interested in connecting with me directly, you can find me on Facebook under the name Marie Janicek and on Instagram at Marie Janicek. If you enjoyed this episode, Don't forget to leave us a review and make sure to share with your friends and family. In the meantime, I can't wait to connect with you all next week when we bring on our next guest. Until then, make sure to get out there and move.